Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. You know, last week as we began our series on One Legacy, Pastor Mark opened the book of Nehemiah and began to draw from that some of the parallels that we might be going through. He talked about the fact that before anything Nehemiah would ever do or act upon, he went in prayer before the Lord. And so it is for us throughout this One Legacy initiative that we first and foremost go before our Lord in prayer, asking that question, Lord, what would you have me do? What would you do through me? What sacrifice would you have me make in this time of need? You know, God led Nehemiah from the point of coming before the king, of asking for his favor, of it being granted, to come to Jerusalem and to begin inspecting the wall. He did it at night so that no one would know he was there. He looked at what had happened, at the destruction that had been laid on Jerusalem throughout the centuries. It was an impossible task. Nothing remained but rubble and broken down walls. And so Nehemiah, looking at this situation once again, prays to the Lord. And today I want to look at what transpires after that. We're going to look at chapter 3 and chapter 4. And three things that we're going to focus in on today in Nehemiah and draw some parallels from those as we are going to look at the building of the wall and that it began, some of the resistance that they had, and the responses, once again, of Nehemiah to all the situations that were going on. You may look in your Bibles in front of you at Nehemiah. We're going to start with chapter 3, but it also will be on the screen so that you can follow along. And I'd like you to see that first and foremost, Nehemiah 3. Nehemiah chapter 3 is a list, the whole chapter, a list of all those people throughout Jerusalem who began to work at rebuilding the wall. Their names are called out, their sections are called out, what they are doing. And it begins, I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but it begins like this. Elishabib, the high priest, and his fellow priests went to work and rebuilt the sheep gate. They dedicated it and set its doors in place, building as far as the Tower of the Hundred, which they dedicated, and as far as the Tower of Hananel. The men of Jericho built the adjoining section, and Zakur, son of Imri, built next to them. The fish gate was rebuilt by the sons of Hassanah. And so it goes, of family upon family, of tribe upon tribe, of people upon people, next to the other building. I want you to see a diagram that's been laid out for us of what that looks like, of all of these things around Jerusalem. I know it's a little small, and so I've kind of enlarged one section of it, and it still might be a little small, but you can get the idea from looking at this. All of these names that are called out around the walls of Jerusalem, all of these different people building in specific areas, building next to each other. The significance of this 
is that they are building in areas that they live in Jerusalem. They are building in an area that matters to them, of something that is important to them, of something that will result when that wall is built in security for them and for their families and for the legacy ahead of them. I don't think that it was just a simple thing to begin this task in the face of so many years of rubble and ruin, in the face of oppression outside. And when the work began, oppression once again began to happen in opposition. And there was external dissent, as we see in the next verse as we turn to chapter 4 in Nehemiah. It says this, When Sanballat heard that they were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews, and in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, What are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Why the ridicule? Why the words? Well, first and foremost, there was fear in their hearts. Fear that the Jews might be accomplishing something that they didn't want accomplished. Fear that the walls might be restored, that Jerusalem might be rebuilt, that Jerusalem once again might be of significant among the nations. But it was also to mock them, to make the Jews feel inferior, that after all, they were a conquered people. They had no hope for the future. They wanted them cowed. They wanted them not to have the security of walls around them. They wanted them to be disheartened at the enormity of the task and at the oppression outside. They wanted them to give up. And Nehemiah responds in the next slide. And he prays. He says simply this, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. You see, Nehemiah, once again, turns it over to God. He doesn't talk about the letters that he has from King Artaxerxes that give him permission to begin this building. He doesn't talk about the supplies that he's been granted to complete the task. He simply leaves it in God's hands. He turns it over to God and continues to build. Well, when those people who are opposed to this begin to see this again, they ratchet up their opposition and they plot to disrupt it as we see in the next set of verses. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, and the Arabs... The Ammonites and the people of Ashad heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed. They were very angry. They all plotted together to come and to fight against Jerusalem and to stir up trouble against it. You see, now it's not just criticism. Now they're joining forces and coming together to stop the work that's being done. They figure with a show of force they can put down any attempt to continue this work that has been given to them. They figure with that show of force the Jews will withdraw. They will once again become docile. And once again, 
Nehemiah responds. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Again, Nehemiah first goes before God. He turns it over to God. He continues the work. He adds security measures, but he doesn't give up. This task is overwhelming, what we might say an impossible task. And yet he continues to encourage the people through prayer to God and by strengthening them. But you know, in any situation like this, as those outside pressures build, as the enormity of a project begins to show itself, as the work becomes laborious, not only is there outside oppression and problems, there begins to be a breakdown internally. And fear begins to come over the people of Israel. That enormity begins to scare them. They're beginning to be worn out and afraid. And in the next verses, we see Judah beginning to be disheartened. The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them, and we will kill them and put an end to the work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. You see, the enormity of the task was not just in building the wall, in just repairing those things. The enormity of the task was to overcome those who were becoming disheartened, those who thought it was too much to do, those who were afraid. And so Nehemiah once again responds to the people in the next verses. He says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plan and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. Remember the Lord, Nehemiah says. He focuses them back on God. Don't give up. God will give us success in this. Why was it so important for Jerusalem to rebuild that wall? What did it matter? It had laid in ruins for years upon years. Why now? Why did they need to rebuild it? Well, first and foremost, it was what Israel was supposed to be in the world. Their mission that they had been given by God. Why they existed. They were to be a witness to the world of the promise of the Messiah to come, who would restore all things when He came. Restoring the wall of Jerusalem once again was preparing for that Messiah to come among them. I like to imagine as I read these chapters that maybe as they worked, as often they did, they were chanting together one of the Psalms, Psalm 24, that says this, Lift up your heads, you gates, be lifted up, you ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. That Psalm that we recite so often on Palm Sunday as Jesus came riding in to Jerusalem. 
the one who came to save. Israel existed to welcome that coming Messiah. So why does the church exist now and today? Why does St. John exist? We exist for that same purpose, that we bear witness to the world of the return of that Messiah who will come again. And while we wait and while we prepare, we are to do as much as possible in our lives to reach out into the world and our community with the hope and the forgiveness and the love of our Savior, Jesus Christ. I said before that as they built, they took areas around those walls that were important to them. Those family and tribes built in areas next to each other, things that mattered to them. And so it is maybe with our One Legacy initiative that there are things today that matter to each of us differently than they do to others. Maybe something is significant to you as we've talked about in this overall plan of maybe it's a gathering space where everybody can come together in a place that we don't have now. Or maybe you're passionate about the school and that's something near and dear to your heart that we do have a waiting list for our preschool. We cannot house enough people. We need to expand that. And that matters to you that people might be able to come in. Or maybe you're a sports person and you'd want to see a new gym, a place where people could come together and have more practices and more people involved. Or maybe it is technology, as Roy Kaiser pointed out, that is needed to be on the cutting edge and to be competitive in the world as we raise up leaders for the future. Maybe it's security measures that we want to see involved as other schools are. Or maybe it has nothing to do with the school. Maybe it has to do with worship and you want to see in this initiative our organ restored and all the things that are wrong with it fixed. Maybe it's that you wanted to see updated spaces here for more studies and more classes and more areas for people together. Or maybe it's the new welcome plaza that we've seen in some of those pictures that will be more inviting to our community. Maybe it's even more parking. Just like Jerusalem and the wall, each of us has something that we are passionate about in this initiative. And just like them, collectively we can accomplish much, but on our own we cannot. Collectively, we can accomplish the impossible task. Are there obstacles? Yes. Is there resistance? Yes. Is the possibility exist that we could become disheartened too, just like the Jews? Yes. But what's the first thing then that we need to do? That very first thing that Nehemiah always did. We need to come before the Lord then in prayer. And turn it over to God. Maybe we're afraid at the enormity of what we've seen, or maybe we're discouraged because we've seen things before and it makes us unsure now, or maybe we just don't see the need, or we can't see the future, or there's a lack of trust because of things that have happened in the past. No matter what it is, it's no different than what Israel faced. And Nehemiah reminds them and us that it wasn't about Israel. It wasn't about their strength. It wasn't about their ability. It was solely about God's faithfulness to them. He would give them the strength. He would enable them together to do the impossible. 
You know, that's what we heard in the gospel this morning. What Jesus said in those words, upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. This is Jesus' church. He will build it. And he builds it by enabling you and me. Our God uses means to reach us. He uses water with his word to create new life and to bind us to him forever, to make us children. He uses bread and wine with his word to bring to us his presence and his forgiveness. He uses us as his hands and feet in this world to reach others around us. Alone and on our own, we can do nothing. But like that picture in our epistle lesson of the New Testament church, as they came together and had everything in common, as they realized that collectively as the body of Christ, they could storm the very gates of hell, so we know that together our Lord can enable us to do all things. Just as Jerusalem was mocked and ridiculed. So our Lord on the cross was mocked for what he was doing. Remember what they said to him hanging on the cross? He trusts in God. Let God deliver him. Come down off the cross and we will believe you. An impossible task. And yet God raised him to show that God was faithful, that Jesus' trust was not misplaced, and that with God all things are possible. Those words that Jesus learned from his mother Mary when Gabriel spoke that to her at her conception, with God all things are possible. Those words that Jesus spoke to his disciples when they asked who can be saved, with God all things are possible. And so he says it to us today. Can we trust God to bless us, to enable us, to empower us? Yes. Does that mean that we don't count the cost, as Jesus said, when coming to build a tower? Of course not. We know the cost. We know the enormity. We know the sacrifice. But once it has been counted, we also know that God can do the impossible things that we cannot do on our own. And He is faithful. And we can trust Him. And so, like Israel in this initiative, we need to pray. God, what would you do through me? We need to work and we need to labor. We need to strengthen ourselves in the Word of God. As we've both heard over the weeks through both Irv and through Roy, without him, nothing can be, imp- be done. But with him, the very gates of hell can be stormed, lives can be transformed, hope can be reborn, and forgiveness can be poured over all those who are in need. Just as we said in the gospel verse for today. God is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ever ask or imagine. This is our sure foundation. Jesus Christ, our cornerstone. And He is the one who will enable us. Amen.